Perception, Perception is reality. Reality. Hello there, folks, and welcome to this 165th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. It's great to be with you. Thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. Unfortunately, co-host Amber Green will not be able to be a part of this episode. However, I do promise she will be back very, very soon. I promise to all of you that have gotten used to hearing her and like having her on, she is still a part of the podcast and she will be back, I promise. Actually, what you're going to be hearing in this episode was a conversation that I had recorded with a guest a couple weeks ago, but because of the technical difficulties, I was unable to put it out. So now that everything is back and working, it's great content. I wanted to rework the intro, which is what you're hearing now. And we will then, here in just a few moments, be listening to that interview. I'm talking to a guest, Jill Barnes. She is a mental health uh, therapist working in the mental health field. And we're going to be talking not about something that's political so much as it relates more to uh, what I believe is community service, giving you guys information that I feel is very important. We're going to be talking about social media and how living in this digital age has changed things from anxiety and depression, how we as adults handle social media, how children handle social media, how we as parents and caretakers and just good community members should be dealing with children and social media. And it's going to be a great conversation. I feel like folks everywhere will be able to take something away from it. And I think that you're going to really enjoy this content. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But as always, I do have to ask whether you have been here from the start. If so, thank you for coming back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If this is your first episode, thank you for stopping by. We hope that you like what you hear and you will stick around. Either way... We ask you all to share the show with everyone you know. Remind folks they can find us on all major podcast hosting sites. I mean it. We can be found everywhere. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Amazon Music, and many, many more. We can be found literally everywhere. All you have to do is search for us by name, Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. We'll pull right up. It's really easy. Or you can find us at the home link, which is perception.fireside.fm. Again, that's perception.fireside.fm. You simply search for that, and there you can find all of our content along with a little bit of information about the show. Or you can go to Google and search for us by the long name or simply enter Bilbrey Podcast. That's B-I-L-B-R-E-Y Podcast. 
we will pull right up that way as well. Also, don't forget to remind folks, last but not least, to look for us on social media, on Facebook. We can be found at Christopher H. Bilbrey on Facebook or facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey318. There I release a live video episode many days throughout the week along with other content that you and others will not want to miss. All right, folks, we're going to get into the meat of this show. It's going to be a great show with a great guest where we talk about a really important topic for those of us living in the world today. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will be joined by none other than Jill Barnes, a mental health therapist, talking about social media and how it affects our lives and talking about some things that we can do to maybe live a little bit better life, maybe a happier life, a healthier life, a more balanced life with this tool that, let's face it, it's here to stay. The internet, social media, it's so invasive and there are so many wonderful positives that this thing offers us, we also have to be aware of the negatives that is involved with it as well. And they are there, but this is just part of being alive in the time that we find ourselves alive in. So you guys sit tight. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump into that conversation. You're listening to the 165th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. We'll be right back. Folks, let me tell you about my friends at Reliable Plumbing Services, Mr. Mark Bolin and Miss Sherry Sheline. After 28 years experience, they can handle all of your plumbing needs. Whether you're talking about new water lines, general plumbing services, toilet install and repair, sewer drain services, sewer locating, sewer installation, and much, much more. They offer senior citizen discounts, military discounts, and if you tell them that you heard this advert on Perception is Reality, they will give you a hell of a deal. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are in the market for reliable plumbing services, then you must call Mark and Sherry at Reliable Plumbing Services. The home office number is 765-252-3665. That is 765-252-3665. Call today. Back to work we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. This is the 165th episode of Perception is Reality. I am still your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we are joined on the phone by our guest, Jill Barnes. Jill is a licensed mental health therapist. Jill, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So before we get started today, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? I am a mental health therapist. I work with Lifeline Youth and 
Family Services, and I'm currently a clinical supervisor there, but I have been in the field as a mental health therapist since 2009, and I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. That's awesome. And one of the areas that really interests you currently is social media and how it affects us as adults, how it affects children, and the, I guess, interpersonal relationships between adults and children uh, dealing with social media. This is a topic that is very important to me, for one, as a mental health clinician, but also because I am a mother of a child who is growing up in a digital age that will eventually be experiencing social media and the effects of social media. We are in an era where this is not going to go away. There's going to be more social media platforms that are going to pop up in the future. Social media platforms are going to change and revamp themselves. And so that is something that I want to talk about towards the end of the discussion, just about how we also prepare our children for that and how we're having conversations with them about social media because it does have a profound effect, positive and negative, on the experiences that our children are going to have in their lives. I agree with you there, and I think it's very interesting to look at how they're going to grow up versus how we grew up versus how our parents or even our grandparents grew up. It's going to be vastly different. Where 20, 30 years ago, the difference between a mother and father and their children in their growing up and what they face as children versus what they faced as adults were about the same, you know, from the 40s to the 60s or even the 60s to the 80s and the 90s. Everything was pretty much the same. Now, for the first time, we are in an age where what our children are growing up and being accustomed to is vastly different than what we even were were used to and and way different than what our parents were used to and a whole other world different than what our grandparents were used to and it's it's crazy to think about that my grandparents are in their early 80s and my grandfather talks all the time about how he used to listen to radio programs because they didn't have a TV so he would sit around and listen to the old radio serials that they would have on and it's interesting to think about the fact that here he is 80 years old and yes he's had a TV in his life for the last 60 some years but for the first 10, 15, 20 years of his life, TV wasn't really a thing. We're kind of like that because social media and the internet wasn't really a thing in our lives until our late teens. I didn't have a computer in my family's household until my junior year of high school. I think we may have had one a little bit before that, but it didn't get online and you didn't do anything. It wasn't till like my junior year that we finally would come home and get on AOL and go into chat rooms and things like that. So our grandchildren or great-grandchildren are going to be sitting around as we're talking one of these days, and we're going to be like, you know, we didn't have the internet until... We were 20 years old, and it's they're going to think that we're so funky because of that, but it's like us sitting around 
and listening to our grandparents, people that are in their 70s and 80s, talking about not having a television. And while the advent of a television in every household was great and was able to get information to people quicker than how it was beforehand, the way that the internet and social media affects us individually and the good and bad that it can do to each and every person is vastly even more different than what the television did. And so the pros and cons are, are both greater with that. And that's really just wild to think about. So I think that might be a good place to jump off and let you kind of take the conversation where you want to go from there. So I guess, what, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, and as you were uh, mentioning earlier, we're kind of in that middle group where, you know, our, our parents did not grow up with electronics. And just like, you know, when they first remember getting their first TV, I was a sophomore in high school when we got our first computer. And it was very limited what we could do with online pages like sure. x page i don't know if you remember x page but that was kind of like the first where you could have friends you could post a background maybe a song and like a quote but sure. that was it and then myspace happened and that became pretty big but people still were not ruled by that. They were still living their lives, hanging out with friends, playing outside. It it was something fun, but it wasn't a staple in our lives. And yes. social media has kind of grown to where it's a part of our daily lives. There's no escaping that. Mm. Um, it, it is absolutely a part of it. It's integrated, but it's not going anywhere. And that does have a profound impact. Approximately 70% of adults have some sort of social media. And social media is defined by Merriam-Webster as forms of electronic communication through which users create online communities to share information, ideas, personal messages, and other content such as videos. And examples, you know, the three top ones that come to my mind and probably a lot of the listeners' minds are Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but you also have online gaming, YouTube, blogs, and um, other pages like that. Sure. 70% of adults on social media, almost 90% of adolescents. And the majority wow. of them, yeah, yes. Um, and I'm sure that's only going to grow. In 2015, it was reported that Facebook had over a billion users. So that, again, is only going to grow in numbers as we continue to have social media in our lives. Yeah, I've said for a while that it's... I think that's why things on social media occur the way they do, why people are so emboldened to be argumentative and, and how, why we disagree and everything's so vitriolic. Because when social media first started, when we as young people were getting on the internet, what were we told? Don't ever tell anybody who you are. Whatever you do, use a fake name, give fake information, don't tell them where you're from, don't tell them how old you are. So everybody used these fake names that we created, these handles and these identities where we were hidden behind and you're able to have some anonymity at that point. 
point. So you're able to go on to the internet and talk to everybody in the world or whoever you're talking to at the moment and say just about anything that your little heart could desire because nobody knows who you are. So that emboldens you a little bit. You're like, wow, I'm hidden. I'm protected. I can say whatever I want to whoever I want. And you do that for so long that you get used to talking that way. And I'm behind a screen and I'm a keyboard warrior and I can say whatever. Well, then when we get to the point where social media starts to change and it's no longer just something on a Blackberry in your pocket that you have to get out and be connected to, uh, you know, your Wi-Fi at the house or you have to have enough mobile data back in the day when you could do that. And, you know, uh, it's changed and it's become our identity to where now you're not behind a hidden name. Now you're who you are, but we've been trained to act the way that we were back then. The other thing with that is, like I was saying about the Blackberries, you know, when cell phones and things like that were still not quote unquote smartphones, the way you got on the internet was through your desktop. So when you were not at home and you were not at work, when you were not using your desktop at home or at work or using a laptop in one of those places or someplace else, you weren't connected to the internet. If you wanted something to eat, you needed to decide together where you were going to eat and call places or look something up you know, on a menu and drive there. If you wanted to go to the movie, you had to dial, you know, the movie theater and, and look that up in the phone book. Now you can get on Google and it answers everything. You know, it's no longer something that you go to to have some fun like the Internet used to be. Now it is a part of life. You, you want to drive someplace? You go to Google Map. You want to see what restaurants have a short wait? You go to Google. You know, you want to see if something's for sale? You go to Facebook. And you can get on your phone and access Google, Facebook, and everything. It's all right there in your hands at all time. When 20 years ago... You know, maybe your phone had the internet, maybe it didn't. If it didn't, you had to get on a desktop like I was talking about. If, if you were lucky enough to have a phone that had the internet, you had to have enough mobile data. It took forever. It was an ordeal. But now it's just lightning quick that it has became more than someplace we went to do something for a few minutes. It's become our lives and it's become my life and your life and our lives interconnected through internet through social media and so it's it's almost become this mirror image of ourselves I, you're absolutely correct and you made a, a, an excellent point that it is becoming our identity which is also the concern because what we're showing on social media isn't always what is actually happening <laughs> in real life. Right. Um, the majority of the research that I was able to find on social media and the effects really focused on adolescence. And I can understand why, because adolescents brains are still developing and they're developing in this digital age where Facebook is becoming their identity and it's creating 
an identity crisis um, for them. And so we're looking at when you eat food, you eat food to nourish your body and to be healthy. And we also have to feed our brains. Sure. And sensory input is a lot of what we're feeding our brains with. And not all of it is healthy when we're looking at the use of social media. And so therefore, with adolescents, they are changing their brain chemistry as they're growing based on these experiences. And we have to be very careful with that, especially as adults who are raising these children or providing access to children or pushing, you know, computer use because we're using them in schools too now more than textbooks. I don't even know if they can textbooks, honestly, in school anymore. So we're, we're pushing all this, but we're not addressing it either. And I, and that is going to be the biggest message for the adult listeners in what we're discussing is being mindful of the effects that it, yes, has on us as adults, but also mindful on the, the effects that it's having on our teens, on our children, and helping them to navigate through that. And again, I would love to discuss that later when we're talking about how can we help ourselves to feel better while we're living in this digital world and it's affecting us in a negative way. Are there positives to social media? Absolutely. Those positives include the fact that we can interact with anyone all over the world. We didn't used to have that ability and that's pretty special. It can be scary at times as well, but it can be very special that we can do that. Easier social networking. There's a lot of people that are using social media for social networking. Speedy communication before we had internet. And again, you know, dial up when we we, we first started wasn't speedy by any means. Sure. So you can send a message and have a response within seconds. You can tell now if somebody read that message. Um, in the 1800s, you might have to send a letter that might take three months to get to someone. And maybe it's, you know, a boy sending a love letter to his girlfriend. And by the time that it gets to her, he's dead. Because sure. it just... it. That we have the fastest communication than ever before. And again, it can be with anybody throughout the world. Sure. And, and so that's definitely a positive. Sure it is. So, and then we also have groups and pages that offer support for a variety of issues, whether they be mental health issues, medical issues. You can find support pages, which can also be very beneficial to give yourself a sense of community and connect with people who are experiencing the same issues as you. Not only that, but the ability to be able to reach out and find like-minded people that can add to your quote-unquote sense of community is something that we are now allowed to do. You know, if you like watching reruns of the original 1960s Batman on the third Wednesday of each month, 
month while wearing a hammerhead shark costume and talking about it in Russian, you can find that niche group of people that also like to do that. Now, through the power of the internet and social media, you are able to link up with other like-minded individuals, make a community, and you're able to connect with folks. And that, in a sense, has made a very large world a whole lot smaller, and it's made people seem to be a whole lot closer together. And it's really opened the door for folks that might be, for example, agoraphobic or might not be able to go outside or might, for other reasons, be bedridden or might not be able to travel the way that other people can. And those things, of course, are positives, which are all great. But on the flip side of that, there are definitely negatives, kind of like, you know, for example, the Internet also allows folks access to you or to, say, for example, children, if not careful, that you might not otherwise want to have access to you or to children. And so you have to be cognizant of that. You have to be mindful of that. It's definitely a tightrope. There are great positives there, but there are also those negatives, and you have to be watchful of that and really just be careful. You know, it's, it's like all things. There are pros and cons and positives and negatives. I think that's a good place to jump into the really big, important question that I always wrestled with, and I know a lot of people do. From your point of view as a therapist and as a parent, what age or age range is okay, do you feel, or do, do you see that the research says to start introducing children to all of this, to the world of the internet, of social media, of smartphones, or maybe playing games. We know that children like to do that, and that kind of escalates and, and graduates into console games like the Xbox and PlayStation, where you can interact with other people online, or PC games and smartphone games. You know, with all that's out there today... When is it okay that children start learning slowly about this? Obviously, with parental supervision and parental controls in place. You wouldn't ever just want to hand the keys to the kingdom over and say, okay, here you go, here's your own tablet, here's your Facebook account at five years old. You know, you want to monitor all of this, and I don't think that they should get access to everything at once, obviously. You know, you don't want to set your six-year-old up with a TikTok account. But so many six- and seven-, eight-year-olds know about this stuff, either from older siblings or from... From younger parents so what what say you on this I think that there's a broad range I believe that as parents who are parents are the expert on their children so I don't know the you know I don't know all the children I only know my child and you know like maybe my niece and nephew but I don't know my niece and nephew like my sister knows my niece and nephew because she's their mom. That is going to be a decision that they are going to have to make. And my recommendation for them would be to assess where they are in their development, their emotional mentality. Are they going to be able to handle social media and the negatives that come with it? And if they do not believe that their child could emotionally handle that and respond to that until they can, it's not a good age. 
I believe that every child is different in how they mature. And so there has to be some maturity there. As parents before children or adolescents, depending on when you decided it's okay to introduce them to that or allow them to explore that, I think you need to be having a discussion with your child beforehand. Most parents are already on social media. They understand their experiences through social media, positive and negative. And I think that they need to sit down, talk with their child about this is what you can expect to happen. Uh, Not everything is going to be wonderful. You have to be careful what you share and why. You might have negative experiences such as you know, cyberbullying, and what are we going to do to handle it if that occurs? What what can the child do? What can the parent do? And I think that also as we have this discussion, not to branch off, but when we are making that decision to allow our child to become involved with social media and interactions with peers and um, people outside of their local community also brings in, you know, older and younger and also adults on their, you know, into their daily lives and their interactions that we remind ourselves that they are still children and yeah. that we are responsible for the interactions that they are having and, and in monitoring that and their mental health as they're having these experiences and not just putting it on the child, not placing any blame on the child. And that's why we need to have these discussions with them and and prepare them for it because they may have an expectation that is not realistic because again, their brains are forming. So they might go into it and think they're going to have this wonderful experience. And then they find out that, for example, when we were kids or teenagers and we wanted to hang out with our friends like on a Friday night and we didn't hear from them. We didn't know if they were hanging out with other people. We might've found that out Monday at school and our feelings might've been hurt. We're finding this stuff, this information out immediately. (sighs) So then we're experiencing, you know, hurt feelings. So it's important for parents to leave this open door of being their child being able to come to them and communicate with them as well when they are having these experiences. One of the negatives, you know, with the the cyberbullying and harassment, you know, sex trafficking, sexting, being introduced to sexual content at an earlier age, loss of discretion and privacy, you know, that increase in anxiety, stress, depression, loneliness as well. It can affect self-esteem, suppression of emotions, or impulsive oversharing. We're looking at kids that they want, you know, the highest number of friends. And so they're looking at Mm. quantity of followers instead of quality of followers or quality of friends. And parents need to be open to discussing these topics with their child because if not children when they're getting depressed they're thinking about suicide we're having younger ages of children actually following through and committing suicide so it's very important for us as adults caregivers parents to be very involved as your child or your loved one 
is beginning this process of experiencing social media. That's exactly correct. And look, it doesn't matter if we're talking about adults or children, but people out there needing to be able to differentiate between what's real life and what's social media life, meaning, you know, even in the adult world, we know, or at least people who have their faculties about them know that what you see on someone's social media profile isn't exactly always real life. A lot of people attempt to whitewash their lives and try to live a dream life on social media so that others around them see this wonderful life and think that everything is amazing and grand when in reality, everybody's just out here doing the best that we can and everybody has problems and, you know, it's it's more real life than what we see on social media. And a lot of people tend to try and, you know, live it up on social media so people think that everything's just grand all the time and that's not real. And even as adults, we have people who see this and think, well, these people are living better than I am, and it causes anxiety and depression and, and envy and issues. So the, now we add in children seeing this, and maybe we have children looking at their peers, and they're like, well, you know, Timmy, he got this for his birthday, and he's doing this, and they're doing that, when in reality, that might not necessarily be the case. So we as parents and caretakers, we need to be able to help our children understand, you know, we should be telling the truth and we don't want to be lying on social media, but not everybody else is that way. And sometimes what you see on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram isn't real life. And we need to be able to set boundaries between what's going on in the real world and what's going on in social media. And that we need to be able to, you know, understand that sometimes people don't exactly tell the truth and they kind of, you know, embellish a little bit. And we need to be able to be realistic about that and not let that cause us to have anxiety or depression or other issues like that. And this is something that we need to be dealing with because even if we don't allow our children smartphones and we don't allow them to create Instagram accounts and all of this, this stuff is being introduced to their lives at younger and younger stages because of school, you know, with with teachers saying, go here to get your homework, or we're going to have this group that's online or through Zoom, like we've seen during the pandemic, we're seeing kids having no other choice than to get involved with various aspects of the internet and types of social media just through school. So we need to be monitoring this and we need to be helping them with this because even if they're not allowed Instagram, they're going to be interacting with people on the internet, even if it's just their schoolmates because of homework and that same thing happens even in that setting. I understand to a lesser degree, but this is being pushed on them even if it's not us allowing them various other social medias, you know, the, let's face it, it's 2021. A lot of schoolwork and other activities are being done online and through various other web pages like that. And there are things that, so my 
daughter is seven years old. She's going to be eight soon. There are things that she can access that I would not as an adult know how to access. So they're <laughs> learning how to access this information <laughs> as well. And also as adults, if we don't know how to do it, we're kind of left in the dark. Yeah. But, but you know, we do have to be understanding and aware that they can access the good, the bad and the ugly even on school computers. Oh, yes. As much as the school regulates some of those sites and they keep track of what the children are getting onto, there are ways that children are also getting around that. Yeah. And accessing this information. Oh, absolutely. Where there's a will, there's a way, and that's just human nature, and even children have that. I mean, I remember in school using the internet to do various things in computer class or in this class or that class, and you would always have kids that were being able to bypass the security firewalls and look at things that they weren't supposed to be looking at and looking at various, you know, other nonsense and listening to music when they weren't supposed to be able to. And this is when school had these security features in place that would stop that. There was always a kid that knew a little bit more than everybody else, and he could get into little areas where he could kind of break over the wall, so to speak, and access that stuff for people. And so, you know, where that was going on when we were in school in high school, it's definitely going on in high schools today. And who knows, it could be going on in middle schools or elementaries. You have kids who are so much smarter at this stuff than we were at their age, because we didn't even have it then, um, that are being able to do things that the school might not necessarily want them to do. And so we just have to be cognizant of that and let our kids know the dangers of that, along with all of the pros and all of the wonderful things that it can do, we need to let them know about the dangers that come along with all of this stuff, along with all of the wonderful things that come along with it. Absolutely. Hands-on parenting is very important. Sure. This During this whole stage. Absolutely. Um, and on the flip side of the schools using this, and again, the schools are not having the children on like social media and stuff like that. They can access that through their school computers, I think, a lot of times. But there is a decline of intellectual ability <laughs> with the use of social media, which probably comes from the effects of loss of focus, time spent on social media more than doing schoolwork. And I think that that is a double-edged sword, basically. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it does so much. And that's kind of the, the whole, you know, we've, we've been hearing all of our lives about AI and, and, and the computers becoming so fast and being able to process so much and in effect becoming so smart that they are able to do this and that. And we're not able to 
kind of combat what their processing ability is. We've heard so many horror stories about this. And now who knows how much of that stuff is true, but we are seeing that they're working on things like this now that they were talking about 5, 10, 15 years ago. And I'm sure that they are a lot farther along in that than what we will probably ever know. I would say by the time we ever learn of something, they're way past that and even working on the next big thing, you know, that goes. But it interests me that we're hearing from like some of the great minds in these fields like Elon Musk, for example, that says, you know, we might want to slow down on this because there are definite dangers with what we're doing or attempting to do. And this is not a good thing. He definitely cautions about, you know, further advancement in AI technology. And I think that's very interesting. But we're getting to a point where there is such a mixing between our life and technology that it almost seems like we're going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to separate the two. And, and that is alarming to me. Because like you were talking about where we're having a situation where there is a kind of a quote-unquote dumbing down of people because their smartphones and technology does all of this for them. You know, I jokingly give my mother a hard time because I say she's lived in Muncie her whole life and can't get across town without Google Maps. And while that's kind of a joke, it's, it's also not because she's always had a problem with directions. Every time she gets ready to go someplace, even in the city that she's lived in for 60 years, she turns Google Maps on and it's like she doesn't even have to think about where she's going because she just follows the directions of Google Map. But if you think about it, used to when you would be going on a trip, you would have to get a map and you would have to plot your course. You would have to know, okay, this is where I'm going to. I'm going to go from Muncie, Indiana to New York City and we're going to drive through these states and you'd have to kind of have your map with you and you would plot out little notes. Okay, I'm going to take this interstate so many miles and we're going to get off at this this junction and we're going to have to drive on this toll road and it was like charting your way and you would have to be visually aware of what was going on around you that it was kind of something that it was like an adventure and you had to learn the skills to be able to do that and you know people did that forever now you just program it in and while yeah you're driving so you have to be visually cognizant of what's going on how many people do we hear get in their vehicle and go from point a to point b and when they get to point b they're like i don't even really know how i got here i just kind of followed along and that would happen sometimes when we would go from like the office to home or from our home to our parents house but now you can do that going literally anywhere because you're no longer having to use your brain to figure out where you're going you're able to use your quote-unquote second brain google who's on your phone barking out orders at you and you're able to follow the blue little dot and voila, there you are. I just, I don't like that. The other thing is now people no longer remember phone numbers. You know, I used to pride myself on the fact that I knew so many phone numbers, all my family members, all of my favorite stores, music stores, and, and various places. Like, I have a good memory. And one of the things I always 
liked was I was able to remember so many phone numbers. And I'll be honest, I remember some of the phone numbers from my childhood, but I haven't learned someone's phone number and I can't tell you how long. There are significant people in my life that I have no clue what their phone number is because I get on my smartphone and I press one or I press four and it connects me right to them. And, you know, it's this situation where the technology is making our lives so easy that we're becoming dumber in some aspects. And that is scary to me. I absolutely agree. I remember when I was first learning how to read, if I didn't know a word, my dad would tell me that I needed to go and get the dictionary and pull it out and figure out how to pronounce the word and, and then read the definition to understand it. Right. And I don't think that people appreciate the importance of being able to problem solve <laughs> without technology uh, because technology gives us everything. It is in our hand at this point. We are carrying around tiny computers and we're not, we're not learning the processes yeah. of problem solving because it is one click away. Like you said, using Google, like you said, it, it dumbs us down. I remember the first two vacations that I ever took as an adult, neither one used a phone. I had a flip phone <laughs> during, I think, both those. <laughs> um, but we utilized an atlas. We didn't even use MapQuest, sure. which was the version before using Google Maps <laughs> yes. on your phone. But that is a huge skill to be able to know how to read an atlas and to figure out what roads you're going to take. And and like you said, the younger generations do not know how to do that. That's right. And it's, you know, we're talking about mapping, but there's so many other things here. And there are pros and cons, like we've been saying, and I know I keep beating a dead horse and saying that, but people need to understand that. And the main thing is just not going overboard. And it's like anything, you know, um, water is good for you. We're supposed to drink enough water to be healthy. But if you drink so much water, it can kill you. Water intoxication has killed someone. There was a radio program where they had people seeing how much water they could drink. And it actually killed a person because it threw off the uh, system, their body, and it killed them. Too much of anything is not good. And when you're a child coming up, being able to access the internet and social media just whenever you please all day every day all, you know all day long is not a good thing and that brings it back to talking like you said earlier about hands-on parenting you know too much tv is not a good thing too much being in the sun without sunscreen is not a good thing 
being out in the snow, playing in the snow is great and wonderful, and we should encourage our kids to do that. But, you know, saying, okay, we'll see you, do whatever you want, and letting them go outside without the proper clothing and letting them freeze is not a good thing. So we just have to be hands-on parents, hands-on caregivers, and monitor what's going on. Specifically with this technology that changes so frequently, used to... You know, you had to go to someone's house or you could call them on the landline and, and your parents could pick up and listen or they could monitor you and cut that off. Now you've got smartphones and you can call me on my phone or you can text me or you can con contact me on Facebook or you can message me or you can call me from Messenger. Now you can call or text from like every app and that just blows my mind. You know, I want my phone to be able to call you from the phone app and text you and I want it to Facebook and be able to Facebook, but now I can call you from Messenger, I can call you from Snapchat, I can call you from Reddit, I can call you from Instagram, I think my calculator has a phone option, and that to me is so crazy, and parents need to realize that, and there are all of these apps that pop up every day that are new, and the kids know about them because of learning from other kids and we don't get this information and we need to be aware. It's not just Facebook and Twitter anymore. It's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Kick and Discord and Reddit and Telegram and everything else that's going to pop up in the next two weeks. It's it's almost overwhelming, and that's why we just need to monitor what's going on with our children. And, you know, for parents, I understand that you want to give your child some independence or you want them to gain independence and make good decisions. But you have to also take an active role in that. If your child is doing things or making decisions and showing you and you're able to watch that and see that happening, then as a parent, you want to give them more independence. If they are not doing those things, you, you want to step in and say, okay, you're not, you're not making the best decisions here. We're not going to allow you to use social media until sure. you can you can make better decisions. We want our children to be assertive and to be able to, to discern between healthy interactions and unhealthy interactions. We want to make sure that our children love themselves enough that they are not seeking attention from other people. And again, that's one of the, the many negatives that we'll discuss here in just a little bit of social media so that they are not allowing the wrong people in and to allow them to build trust with those individuals that are not going to be healthy, that, that have a motive behind what they're doing. Sure. That is definitely very important for parents. And again, having those, having those discussions. Sure. Absolutely. Social media is an addiction. Nobody is immune to that. I would say that the majority of people who are utilizing social media, if they're on, you know, for so many hours a day, I struggle with it myself. <laughs> I'm on social media a lot and I do have to be careful. You know, my, my daughter has said things to me about being on social media or being on my phone. She doesn't necessarily know it's social media, but being on my phone when sure. she would like to have one-on-one -on -one interaction. And so I try to be 
more mindful of that because I, we do get lost in it. And adolescents are, again, because their brain is developing an addiction to social media. And then when parents are trying to parent, maybe they haven't stepped in for a while and then they're realizing it's becoming a serious issue or they're using phones as a, a way of disciplinary action. Oh, yes. Which is okay because, I mean, let's be honest, phones are going to really hit it where it hurts with teens. Right. So when they're trying to take those phones away, then teens are acting out and parents are then that's an increase in something that we're seeing in the mental health field is parents are coming to us and they're saying, my child's behavior is just out of control. And one of the things that they describe is we try to take the phone away from them and they're becoming very angry. They're becoming physical, whether it be towards them or, you know, they're destroying property in the home. And so this is a problem. This is, they're like withdrawal symptoms from not having the phone is this yes. anger and this anxiety of not being able to have it. So we, we also have to be cognizant of that. Sure we do. Absolutely. I tell you, uh, the addiction that social media and or just even having that smartphone in hand is insane. Uh, I tell a story from time to time about this weekend where back when I was selling cars, I had put my phone on top of a stack of tires as myself and the other salesmen were standing around talking at the end of a, of a Friday. And it was a holiday weekend, so we were going to be closed Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And we were sitting there talking. We leave, and I walk out to the car. I get ready to sit down and get ready to drive off. And I realize, oh, man, I left my phone in there on the tires. By the time I get back up to the building, everybody was gone. I didn't have a key, and I didn't have a way of getting a hold of anybody. And so I didn't have my phone. And I was like, oh, that's okay. I'll just get it. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm not going to have it till Tuesday. So, like, I freaked out for a second. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, I was kind of sweating and kind of nervous. And by the time I got home, I was, like, free. I, I didn't have my phone dinging. Nobody was getting a hold of me. I, I used my ex-wife's phone to get on social media, and I was like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a couple days from social media. My phone's at work, and if you need me, call her phone. And it was wonderful having that break where I wasn't checking my phone, and I wasn't posting, and I wasn't on. And having those few days was fantastic. And when I actually went back to work on Tuesday and I got my phone and I had 500 missed everythings, I was kind of like, oh, this thing? Now, it didn't take long to get back into that groove. Uh, it's kind of like when someone's clean from heroin or other drugs and they they go back and it's kind of like an overload. They, a lot of times they'll overdose because they go back to doing what they were doing right before they got clean and it's too much. They don't realize that they you know, aren't at that level anymore. And it's kind of like what happened when I go back and I've got like 500 missed calls. I just didn't know where to start. I listened to a talk show, a radio host who gives 11 months of his life to political analysis and does the radio shows and, and does all of that. And instead of taking off vacation here and there, he takes off one entire month. He always does this, I think, in August. And so September, 
October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, he is ready to go. But August, he unplugs from everything. He doesn't go to work for 30 days, 31 days, whatever. And he does not social media. He doesn't watch TV. And he completely unplugs from everything. And he says that, you know, it really helps him center himself. And so I would say if folks could learn to step away from their devices, step away from the email, step away from the computers, step away from the smartphone, not necessarily that long, obviously, not normal people can't do that because of work and other obligations. Fortunately, he's in a position where he can do that. But if people could learn to take an evening off, take a weekend off, take a vacation for a week with your family and don't answer and don't post and don't look at what's going on on social media, I think it could really help balance us. And we need to give children uh, that sense that it's okay and and not really even saying it's okay. It should be mandatory for especially for children that they give it up and that they realize that they can live a life outside of this virtual digital world that we have created. And when we're talking about children as parents or caregivers, we must set absolute parameters that the children must live by. You know, they have to you know, put it down and go out and play, put it down and talk to their siblings, put it down and read a book, go out and do something with friends and take time away from the phone, from TikTok, from Instagram, from Facebook, you know, whether that be a night or a weekend or they can only social media for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour after homework, whatever that is, whatever fits you and their goal and what you're trying to achieve with that. But you should set those parameters. Now, for us adults, we definitely need that, too. And we need maybe our partners to help us enforce that or we need to enforce that in our own lives, whether it be an evening or a weekend or an entire week on vacation or like that radio host an entire month. I know people who do that. Hey, I'm going to take a month off of social media. Now, they don't leave the phone behind or emails because of work, but doing that can definitely refresh you. And I'll be honest, I think the longer it is, probably the better. I know people who've stepped away from social media and say said I'm done and they're just not on Facebook or Twitter and that they feel more full in their lives you know it just depends on you and what you need and and how your life and your family and your social circles set up I guess you know everybody's different but stepping away whether it be a night or for a month or whatever, you know, I feel like that's important. So I occasionally take breaks. They're a lot shorter breaks than that. But I, my closest friends are coming to the realization that if I'm taking a break from social media and I will deactivate my account, I am now also deactivating my messenger that is connected with um, Facebook as well. When I do that, I'm doing that because I'm like sensory overload from being on on Facebook yeah, and I need a break. And there is anxiety when you first do that because you're like, oh my gosh, like I have made this decision 
and I won't be able to check on anything, which with deactivating, you can always get back on, but you also don't want to look like a crazy person. And that's kind of how I feel every single time that <laughs> I, and you know, honestly, like, I need to not worry about what other yes. people think when I am taking, because if I'm doing that, I'm doing that for myself. And I think that that also needs to be acceptable to anybody else. And it is okay to take a break and you do not have to explain that to anyone because this is your mental health. You know what your breaking point is and nobody else is going to be able to have control over that except for you. So make that, make that healthy decision for yourself. You can always come back to it. Nothing is permanent unless you delete your Facebook and then you can just start a new one and start all over. People have done that too. So there is some anxiety when I first do that, but I also notice that I am less stressed. I am more focused on other things that I am needing to accomplish and that really goes to show that the effects of when you have it in your life daily that it's having on you and and that pressure that it's putting on you. I was reading about a study where they took 143 undergraduate students and randomly assigned them to two groups. The first group had to limit each social media platform to 10 minutes. So they could be on Facebook for 10 minutes a day. They could be on Instagram for 10 minutes a day. Twitter 10 minutes a day, whatever they used for social media, 10 minutes per platform a day. And then the other group was asked to continue to use their social media um, as they normally do. And the group that limited their time on social media for 10 minutes per platform per day experienced significant reductions of loneliness and depression. Really? Yes. It's really interesting to hear how much of an impact this has on our lives and to think what a short time all of this stuff has been around. It's really, really interesting. It's kind of scary. Look, I understand that it has a lot of pros and there are a lot of great, wonderful features that we have in our lives now because of technology and because of the digital age, because of the internet and social media. And we're never going to be able to look past those. There are a lot of wonderful things and features that we have in our lives now because of all of this. But clearly, like anything else, there are negatives. And hopefully this conversation is allowing the listeners that are, are taking this in to say, hey, I need to be examining what an impact this has on my life. And I'm hoping that even if a couple people out there can start to maybe examine this in their life, it, it's definitely worth it. I think this is a fantastic topic, and I think that we as humans need to continue examining all of this and just what an impact that this technology has on our lives. And we need to be looking always at a way for us to live a happier, healthier life. And, uh, you know, to me, I think the greatest thing that we've discussed so far is stepping away from all of this and understanding that we can utilize this in the way that it was originally intended, but we need to let it be a tool in our lives and not let it overtake our lives. Hey folks, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. I think it's absolutely fantastic and interesting. 
interesting. I hope you, the listeners, are getting some great information out of this episode, and I hope that you will share this with the people in your lives, specifically if you or they are parents. You are listening to the 165th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Chris. Our guest is Jill Barnes, and we'll be right back after this quick break. mail. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers greater confidence in you. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information, appraisal, and title report. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing under license in all 50 states and MLS consumer access.org number 3030. Welcome back to Perception is Reality. This is episode 165. I am your host, Christopher Bilbrey. We are joined on the phone by a guest who is a mental health therapist. Jill Barnes has been with us and talking about social media and how it impacts our lives as adults and how it can impact the lives of children and how we as adults, as parents, as caretakers should deal with social media in the lives of our children and the children that we love and and are around. This is a very interesting conversation because of the implications and how technology is. It just keeps expanding and expanding, you know, more and more so every day, every week, every month, every year. And it's it's just mind-blowing to think about where technology will be even in a year from now, but five years from now or 10 years from now. And so it's something that we just kind of have to do our best at. It feels sometimes like we're just barely treading water, but we got to keep kicking our feet, keep paddling those arms and just doing what we can to keep our heads above water. It's definitely an interesting conversation. And one of the things that we talked about a moment ago was how technology, the internet, social media, has the ability, which is a, a positive in our life, to make us feel so connected to folks, and it makes the world a smaller place, and we can create these communities and, and, and connect with people maybe that are in our families or, or just friends or, or strangers that we can find all over the world, and it, it really is able to bring us together and to help us to feel like a community and to bond. The flip side of that, and a whole lot of this conversation has been looking at pros and cons and and the flip side of the coin, is it also that same ability that it has to make the world feel like a small place and connect us can also 
tend to make us lonely. And we're seeing that, aren't we, in social media, how maybe I'm looking at my Facebook account and I've only got 200 friends, but, you know, Jill has 4,000 friends and what's wrong with me? Or I see Timothy over here, he's going out every weekend and posting pictures with this girl and these group of friends and I don't have that. So it also can make us feel very isolated and very alone if we are not balanced and we don't understand that what we're seeing people post might not be real life. Maybe they're just, uh, you know, kind of hamming it up for the internet and making their lives look better. You know, how do we deal with that? If we look at the way that we grew up, which is different than the way that our children grew up, because again, we didn't have computers in our households till we were, you know, in middle school and high school. And at that point, it hadn't really evolved. So it wasn't something that we utilized on a basis, not to mention our patience was lower because we were waiting on that dial up. And did we really <laughs> want to sit and wait 10 minutes right. or did we want to do something else? Historically for us, our interactions were limited to our community. They were limited to schools, to our neighbors, to the people that we were interacting with, like in the stores, there was a lot more one-on-one communication. We are, as humans, not supposed to be loners. We're not animals that were born and then just went out on our own. We have, we stay with our families at least until we're 18, sometimes longer. Then we go, we have our pack of friends in school and we create our own families. We're always around others. That is becoming less and less in Mm -hmm. this digital age. And so taking out that one-on-one interaction face-to-face or with our group of friends is also creating that loneliness. And I would say that has to be instinctual for us to have to have that in-person contact for our children who are not as used to that and having less of it, except for mostly in like school settings because we're going home and then we're just having communication with our friends through messenger or text or whatever. For us to be experiencing that loneliness, that has to be ingrained in us at birth to have that. I mean, that's the part we have to have positive interaction with our parents to develop after birth and in our early childhood years to have a healthy, well-rounded childhood and view on the world as we get ready to even enter school. So yeah, we're starving ourselves of that, that in-person contact. And as adults who've had it before, we're having less and less. When we go out into the community, everybody's on their phones and we use it as a way to keep ourselves from having that. We're avoiding one-on-one interaction with, with people out in the community instead of embracing that and smiling at someone that we're passing on the street or saying hi or striking up a conversation with a stranger and having those interactions, they boost serotonin, which oh, yeah. um, is the happy chemical. And we're depriving ourselves of that. And, and that's really unfortunate that we do that to ourselves. But that's also what is increasing anxiety and, and social anxiety in 
adults and then now our adolescents. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely the it, it, it is passing down to the children, but you know, talking about the adults, you see it all the time. Folks get dressed up and they're going out to eat with their wife or their husband or their girlfriend or their boyfriend and you've got these good-looking men and good-looking women who are getting all dolled up to go out and you walk into a restaurant and nobody's talking. Everybody has their head down and their thumbs working and everyone's looking at their phone and basically you've got this man and this woman who are looking at other men and other women and friends and and uh, other lives that you know they're thinking about possibly living on their phones rather than putting the damn phones down and setting and conversing with the person that they are with uh, you know the person that they want to be with their their special someone instead of doing that their heads are down and they're looking in their phones and it's that addiction that we talk about because people like the likes they like when they get that ding they like when their phone vibrates and they like when they have you know 35 people liking this picture and they want to talk about that and they have all of these people and all of this whole other life and it's just an addiction and we are passing that on to our children and it's scary and what's really scary about this is these companies know that they're doing this and they they are building their systems around it they know that they can control us by putting this algorithm together that only allows these friends to be seen and they run these ads because they know that we'll look on this and we'll click at this and they know us psychologically speaking hell better than we know ourselves and they have oh yes that's that's what drives them and and this idea that google has this whole digital you that they you know that they are are you know designing how they do things based off what you've done so far and that they can tell you what you're going to do almost before you know and they know how to drive you it's it's scary to think about that too that that it's almost like yeah you know out of your control unless you're very cognizant of it I'll tell you, there's a documentary, and I know a lot of people have already viewed it, but if you have not watched it yet and you're listening to this, you need to. It talks about all of the people that are behind these companies, Google and uh, all of these other social media companies, and it talks about all of the psychology that goes into their marketing and what they're doing. It's amazing. It's called The Social Dilemma. It was on Netflix, but I know it's definitely out there, and you can definitely watch it. If you're listening to this and you're at all interested, if you're not interested, you still need to watch it because it will open your eyes and it will scare the hell out of you. It's called The Social Dilemma, and I'm telling you, it's way crazy. A lot of people have already watched it, but if you haven't, you need to listen to the rest of this episode and then go find it. The Social Dilemma, it's crazy. I have also watched The Social Dilemma. It's been a while, but I I think if I remember right, and I could be wrong, so don't hold me to it. I felt like there was at one point like an image of people walking around and they basically had dollar signs Mm -hmm. uh, above their heads. Um, And if not, there should probably be an image. Yeah, I think you're right. Because... I joke because I am becoming like a meme queen um, (laughs) on social media. I have a lot of memes saved uh, because I think, you know, we look at these memes and we see so many 
and and these are sometimes i mean there are other people that are creating these memes and you're like oh my gosh i can relate to that they also have influence on us as well but we joke about we think something or we say something out loud and all of a sudden there's an ad <sighs> for it it does happen or you search for one thing and then you have all these ads popping up and so it's all about advertisers and pulling you into that or pulling you into like a group, you know, there's group suggestions, there's friend suggestions. And so we are not necessarily consciously making these decisions for ourselves when we are joining these groups or looking at ads that they're putting on there or, you know, seeing something that's interesting to us. These are people who are behind this and they are showing us this and they, that's like a control. Oh, yes. So we are being controlled manipulated by Manipulated, yeah. Manipulated is a very good word. Well, you know, what's scary about that is these companies are using the very best, the top-notch people in psychology, sociology, anthropology, and behavioral analysis to create these programs and these apps and these systems that will program us and know us and they are able to drive these companies so that they can get advertisement and and you know it's all about the money it's all about the bottom line it's all about the dollars and cents and that's what's really scary that's why we need to have a good handle on understanding all of this and we need to teach our children to be very careful because it doesn't take much to just be a mindless zombie and let these people run the show and that's kind of what's going on unless we're paying a hell of a lot of attention so let's touch on the likes and the addiction to oh, yeah. the likes. And that is where anxiety and depression come in as well. These are the likes or the lack of likes. They are creating anxiety and depression. We are sitting and we're waiting to see how many likes we get. We are comparing the likes that we get from our page to other people's pages. And if we don't get the likes that they get, then, you know, adolescents are thinking to themselves, I must not be as popular mm. as that person, or I must not be as liked as that person. We are getting addicted to the sound of the notification even. How many times have we felt good when we've heard that notification that somebody commented or somebody liked or, you know, somebody tagged you in something because that's how you're getting your sense of community. And we have to also remind ourselves that if you're friends with that person where everybody liked the same, if it's similar or the same thing that you shared that maybe they just saw that person's first. Maybe they've liked a bunch of stuff today and they just were, weren't feeling it. Or that sometimes some people like what they're seeing, but they're, they're not actually liking it or they're not commenting, even though they have thoughts or feelings about it for their own reasons. And sure but we're taking it personally. And that is something that we also need to work on. And again, as parents talking with our, our adolescents and children who are on social media or getting ready to go on social media, that 
we don't want to let that affect us and how we feel about ourselves and who we are. And so that also brings me to, so we talk about depression and anxiety, which they are diagnosable. Licensed clinical social workers like myself, psychologists, psychiatrists, we all use the DSM-5. That's the, the latest diagnostic and statistic manual for diagnosing mental health disorders. So depression and anxiety are diagnosable. Then there's phantom vibration syndrome and there is imposter syndrome. Those are experiences not diagnosable, but they are experiences that you can also have with social media. The phantom vibration syndrome is the phantom feeling that your phone is vibrating when it's actually not, or you may not even have it on you. That is something that physiologically our brain is communicating to our body because subconsciously our social media and our phone and our interactions through that are constantly on our mind. And then there's the imposter syndrome, which is where, and there's an increase in this with social media. You really doubt your intellectual abilities, your skills, who you are as a person. You might feel like a fraud because you're not getting the feedback that you're expecting. And that's another thing too. Expectations versus reality. We have these expectations and then when reality doesn't meet our expectations, we're disappointed. Yeah, that can be really rough. And especially, again, if we're talking about children, that's why we have to really work with them to understand that it's not... It, it, it's not real. Yes. And then the third thing that you had, had talked about was going out, you know, with friends or oh, yeah. with family and, or even if you're sitting at home and you're sitting with people, but you're not interacting with people. So you almost think it's good enough. Well, I'm in the room with yeah. you. Isn't that enough? But no, it's not enough because we have to have community and that's not community. If you're sitting next to someone and you're on social media or you're chatting with someone else, you're having community with someone else, but not the person that is with you. And, and we really need to appreciate time as well, because time is the most important currency that we have. You can spend money and you can make money, but once your time is gone, it is gone. Yeah. Um, and once those people in your life are gone, I mean, if it's death, they're definitely gone. And if it's a loss of a relationship, then it may never come back. And so it is impacting our relationships with others because we're not feeding those connections Sometimes we're feeding connections with, you know, people that are, you know, maybe it's our friends and they're in a different household. Maybe it's a different state. Maybe it's, maybe it's a different country. And we're kind of neglecting who we have close to us that we could be building connections with. Sure. Um, and on the flip side of that, the positive is that you may have family and friends that do live in other states, countries, other towns that you can't easily see or have communication with regularly before this digital age, but now you can, and that's wonderful, but don't forget to feed those connections with the people that you have close to you also, which also affects 
their mood, their mental health, because that, you know, may make them feel depressed or anxious because, well, this person that I love and I'm, I'm spending time with and I'm trying to interact with, they're, they're not, they're choosing not to interact with me. So they're not getting their needs met. Or if it's both of you are sitting in a room and you are both on social media or using technology, you're, you're really not feeding each other's soul in that way. You don't really know who that person is or, or who they're becoming. Like, you know, with parents and children, kids, once they hit school age, they, they go to school for the whole day. That's the majority of their day. They spend less time at home being with you before they go to bed. And their community becomes their peers and their teachers. Those are the influencers more so as where when they are before school age, the parent is the major influencer on development experiences and the development of thought processes. So you may lose knowing who your child is or is becoming or their experiences. And again, we want to be having these conversations with them because we want to make sure that they're having healthy experiences. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And I think it's important that parents know how to deal with their children and deal with the thoughts of anxiety or depression that children might get from social media or from the internet. And, you know, again, it sounds like it would just be easier to say, okay, don't have them involved with all of this. And, and that was very much my view of things. However, that just doesn't really make sense. And it's not practical anymore because as we've talked about, and as people out in the world know, the listeners know, schools and everywhere else are starting to involve the internet and various technologies and the digital age in our children's lives even earlier. So what are ways that we as parents or caregivers can try and limit uh, thoughts of depression or anxiety in our children as it relates to dealing with all of this? We, we've already touched on being involved as parents in having discussions with our children, making sure, first of all, to assess whether or not they're mentally ready to, to get on social media and join the social media community, making sure that we're having discussions on what to expect when they do join. I think we also need to teach some coping skills to our kids when they are experiencing negative effects or feedback or symptoms from social media because everybody experiences both positive and negative effects of social media. Sure. So even as adults, we need to have coping skills on how, first of all, understanding what triggers it. So we need to know ourselves and what triggers our anxiety or depressive symptoms caused by social media and then develop some coping skills. So self-care could definitely be uh, a big coping skill to to utilize, making sure that we are paying attention to ourselves, not just focusing on the social media, doing things that we enjoy. I always recommend with people that I work with, if you're going to do coping skills, to do things that appeal to the five senses. So maybe it's putting down your phone and going and taking like a warm bubble bath, or maybe it's 
you know, scent. Maybe you put a, you know, your, your bubble bath is scented or you take a moment to just relax and you have, you know, a candle going, turning down the lights to, to minimize the sensory overload that you might experience from electronics for that day. Good smells. Maybe if baking is something that you're interested in, you know, that could be a coping skill is taking some time to bake and enjoy the smells of whatever it is that you're baking. Listening to music. I would also say, you know, if you can take frequent or scheduled breaks from social media. So if you can take, you know, so so much time during the day, maybe you're going to put your phone down from seven to eight and that's your me time. Maybe you enjoy reading or something. So you're like, okay, between seven and eight, I'm going to put my phone down. I'm not going to respond to anything. I'm just going to do this for myself. And maybe that's the reading or journaling, painting, drawing, watching a television show that you enjoy. It could be anything. If you can take breaks that could be longer, like maybe you decide, okay, Monday through Friday, I'm okay with being on social media, but Saturday and Sunday or Friday after this time through Sunday at this time, I'm not going to be on social media during that time. And I'm going to take that time for myself. I think that that would be very healthy to reconnect with yourself personally, with your family, with your friends, trying to have more social interaction. That's very hard for some people, especially if you are in the pattern of experiencing anxiety and social anxiety, but, but trying to have some, some interaction with people in your community. There are apps that you can download on your phone that if you only want to have so much time on social media, so like maybe an hour on social media, you can set timers to where it will shut it off after you have expended that time that, that you have put on there. And it also shows you how much time you spent on each different social media app. So if you have like Facebook and Instagram, it'll show you, you know, what you spent more time on. Oh, listen, I don't mean to cut in here for a second, but I got to tell you, that is very scary to do. I would tell you, everybody out there listening, you don't even really need to find an app to do that. Your phone should already do that. It Definitely, if you have a Samsung, and I know iPhone does the same thing, there is a setting on your phone where you can go and look at how much time that you have had, like screen time is what it's called, how much screen time you've had just on your phone total. You can go and look how much time you've had on Facebook or how much time you've had on this app or that app, and it is frightening. We did that a couple years ago. Me and a couple friends were sitting around looking at it, and it is scary how much time you spend doing whatever it is that you're doing and what's really scary now is i know i'm on it far more now than i was a couple years ago and it was out of control a couple years ago so uh you be brave because it's gonna frighten you when you do it but i would i would highly recommend you going and looking at that maybe doing it once and then getting off of it no seriously we do need to take a look at that and use that to say 
is this how I should be spending my time? Or maybe maybe I need to put the phone down and start doing this or that because it is really frightening to think how much time you spend scrolling up with your thumb, which is basically what you're doing. And you lose time doing it. Sure. Uh, and don't even realize it. Absolutely. It's like time travel. I didn't mean to overcut you there. I just wanted to put that out there. And if you're a parent, you should definitely be looking at your children's screen time. You know, if you're not monitoring what they're doing and saying, okay, you've got to play here at the table or on the couch next to me and you've got an hour, you know, especially if your kids are a little bit older, if they're off in their bedroom or whatnot and you're a little bit more lax on their screen time, you should definitely be checking this out to make sure that they are adhering to what your rules are and you can go right in there and it will show you how much time they're spending total, how much time they're spending on this app or that app and it's it's definitely a handy tool for monitoring what your kids are doing. And look, I understand that there are those parents out there that are saying, well, I want my kids to have their privacy. And there is a line there where you want to teach your kids that in their house, in your house, they are safe and that's their space and they do have some privacy, but we have to get real. They're living in your home and they feel safe there, but it's your job as a parent to make sure that they are within the rules and the boundaries and that they are safe and that's part of it. And so, you know, you have to take off that uh, friendly hat that people want you to have and you say, no, I am the parent and I'm going to make sure that you're safe. And part of being safe and, and growing up right is following the rules and doing what's supposed to be done when it comes to the internet and social media and all of that. And looking at your kids' screen time is one of those things that it's just, it's got to happen. As a parent, we all have different values and views on life things that we want to teach our children. And parenting evolves also through the developmental stages. First of all, when you discipline a child, you are not, even though the child responds like their feelings are hurt, that doesn't mean that you are losing trust in your child or a bond in your child. It actually means that your bond or the, your trust with the child is increasing. Um, not to mention if you are also consistent with that. And, yeah. you know, it, it can be hard as a parent to be consistent when your child is acting out and you give in. We all give in at times. But the more that you are consistent, the more that it teaches your child that you mean what you say. But in earlier ages, one of the most well-known parenting strategies is called one, two, three magic. And that is basically where you are a dictator of your child. You're telling them what to do and you're providing discipline when they are not doing that through the form of like timeout, you know, eventually, you know, taking things away, but you're teaching them that there is going to be a consequence for what they're they're doing if it's not something that they're supposed to be doing and they need that because they don't know 
right from wrong. Right. And so you're, you're teaching them that. And that, that is the goal of the early developmental stages is that you're just teaching them what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. They, they can't really make informed decisions for themselves because their brain isn't developed that way. They're going to make ego type of decisions for themselves. Whatever is what they want, that's what they want to choose. And as they get older, you can introduce choices to them. Okay, you can choose to do this and this will be the consequence or you can choose to do this and this will be the consequence. And one of them is going to be a a not great consequence and the other one is going to be a favorable consequence. (laughs) And that teaches them choices. As they get into adolescence, you can have more of those discussions with them. And and you do have to, to walk that line of, yes, I am enforcing this, but I am also a person that you can come and talk to about anything and be realistic with them that it doesn't mean you're not going to get a consequence. It doesn't mean that I don't love you, but I want you to know that if you come to me and you talk to me about this, we're going to walk through this together. It may not be pleasant, but it's not going to be pleasant for either one of us, but we're going to do it together. And I am going to be there for you. And so when they are teenagers, the whole point is autonomy. That by the time that they're 18 or an adult, when they're moving out of the house, that they are able to make those informed decisions based on their experiences. And so therefore, it is not bad to be monitoring what they're doing. And I, you, there is a compromise there where you can give them autonomy and independence and also some structure and rules around it as well and saying if you break these rules these are going to be the consequences there definitely has to be consequences i completely agree and there's definitely going to be consequences for us if we do not take our third and final break ladies and gentlemen you are listening to the 165th episode of perception is reality my guest is therapist Jill Barnes. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we'll be right back. This is Mission Control. The tallest, fastest, and longest steel coaster in King's Island needs you. Must be able to handle a 300-foot drop and speeds up to 91 miles per hour while dodging meteors. No training required. Are you up for the challenge? Introducing Orion at Kings Island, one of only seven giga coasters in the world. Right now, get Kings Island admission, parking, and free drinks for just $49.99 online. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the 165th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher Bilbrey, and we are joined on the phone by our guest, Jill Barnes. Jill is a licensed mental health therapist, and we are near the end of this episode. But Jill, is there anything that you would like to tell the listeners, anything else you would like to get out before we get ready to wrap this episode up? One last thing. Sure. Um, if you are experiencing 
symptoms of depression or anxiety, you see that your child is experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety. And these are symptoms that are affecting your daily life, your relationships, your work, your daily living. I would recommend the possibility of seeking professional help if you feel like it's not something that you can do on your own or with the support system that you have. Uh, Yeah, that's an important message. Look, I absolutely value therapy and folks talking to people. I feel like everybody should talk with somebody at some point in their life. I feel like many, many people out there could definitely deal with it. I think that there's such a stigma. Even now in 2021, there's really still a stigma with seeking help, talking to a therapist, talking to your doctor about things like this, talking about depression or anxiety. And I just don't understand why why in 2021 we still have such a stigma related to this. And I I really wish that 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 would uh, go away and people would realize how how beneficial it is. You would never hide out going to the doctor if you had a blood pressure issue or if you had cancer or if if you had COVID, you know, they, they, they want you to get right in. You don't just try to treat that at home and you shouldn't try to treat depression or anxiety at home either. That's how people start self-medicating. And, and that's why we have issues that we have because people are so afraid to say, I think I need to talk to somebody. Men think that that makes them less of a man or yeah, a mother might think that that makes her less of a mother, you know, and I just, I feel like we need to really work to lift that veil. So I am very supportive of mental health counseling and feel like people should seek counseling uh, for various topics. And and like she said, if, if you are having an issue with anxiety, depression, uh, or any other issue due to social media interactions or or technology or really anything else, you should seek out professional help. And I, th- I think that's very um, important for folks to know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with Jill Barnes. She is a licensed mental health therapist. Jill, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. It was truly my pleasure. And I appreciate the opportunity to be a guest and to share something that is truly close to my heart with mental health awareness and social media. My pleasure. You're welcome back anytime if you have information that you would like to share with the listeners. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the 165th episode of Perception is Reality. It wasn't political, but this was a lot of great information, and I really, really hope that you do your part and share the show with everyone you know. Remind those folks they can find us on all major podcast hosting sites all they have to do is look for us by name perception is reality with christopher h bilbrey they can also visit the home link at perception.fireside.fm again that is perception.fireside.fm or they can simply go to the google machine and look for us by entering in bilbrey podcast which is b-i-l-b-r-e-y 
podcast will pull right up. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilberry318. Don't forget to look for Amber Green on her social media at Amber Green on Facebook. Green has an E at the end or look up her studio fate style studio also on facebook she should be back for the next episode you guys are fantastic thank you for listening thank you for spreading the word and remember until next time take care of one another take care of yourself get educated remember that's very important get active and let's better government through our citizen involvement take care god bless and we'll talk to you all again next time you've been listening to perception is reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318. And on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember... Perception, Perception is, is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.